I have a question for you. We've talked about this issue before. It fascinates me a little bit though. There are three types of people when it comes to laundry. I found out there are three types. Last time we talked about this, there are only two types. Now there are three types because I found out some of you fall into this third category, but when you do the laundry, assuming you do the laundry, and I'm not gonna ask who does the laundry, I've mentioned to you in my home, there's just work. There's no like guys work and girls work. There's just work and, and whoever's able to do it does it. I do the laundry a whole bunch. My wife does the laundry. Whenever we walk by, there's laundry to do, we do it. Now, when you do your laundry and you dry your clothes, how many of you like in your closet to have everything possible, everything hung up, that you hang everything you can up, you don't like anything folded or put away, you want it on hangers. If you're a, a hanger, raise your hands if you're a hanger, you're okay. I'm a hanger, there have to be more than just five of us in here that are hangers. I like everything hung up. I hang my t-shirts up, I hang everything I can get hung up, I hung up. How many of you are folders? How many fold their clothes up and, and like it all folded and put away neatly in their, their appropriate places? How many of you are dumpers where you just take it out, you dump it in a corner, somebody, you're out in your daughter. That's great. Yeah. My, both my boys were dumpers. They just took their laundry and just dumped it right in the middle of their floor. And now that, that Richard's married, he and Eden have had that conversation and now he's becoming a hanger and a folder, not a dumper. Um, Joy and I, we uh, are different. Joy's a folder and I'm a hanger, but she does hang her clothes that need to be hung. And we have something in our house called, uh, well, it's, it's coat hanger wars because there's never enough coat hangers. Now, one of the reasons is I break my coat hangers. Well, you buy the, the cheap coat hangers. And um, when I hang my jeans up, I grab the jeans and pull them off the, the coat hanger without actually taking the hanger off the rack and taking the jeans. And so it breaks them. So they're disposable coat hangers. And so I'll go to Joy's closet on a coat hanger mission and I'll take some of her clothes off her coat hangers. And... Uh, then I take the coat hangers and hang my clothes up. So I asked Joy the other day, I said, could you please go to Target? And when you go to Target, would you buy some coat hangers? Coat hangers have to be some of the cheapest things you can buy in the whole world. $1.72 for a pack of 15 coat hangers. So Joy, who's uh, our, our budget warrior, our frugal princess who watches things like a hawk, spent three bucks in gas to go buy exactly one package of $1.72 coat hangers. And she came back and she had the coat hangers um, and I said, where's the rest of them? And she said, I think we only need one pack. That's all I was gonna buy. And end of story, we didn't discuss it anymore. Now, I solved the problem like any of you men would do. I decided I was gonna order my own coat hangers on Amazon. So I got on Amazon and I looked up best coat hangers for men 2022, all right, that's what you do. So all these coat hangers pop up and I found the coat hanger I wanted, the wooden coat hanger with the antique finish and the wide shoulders on it. And I'm like, these are the coat hangers that I want. And so I ordered a couple packs of coat hangers because I needed, and so Joy, she checks Amazon because she's our budget warrior and our frugal princess. And she said, at the end of the night, she checks Amazon to make sure I hadn't been, you know, buying too much stuff and, you know, having it shipped in. And, and she's like, why did you buy coat hangers? Now, I wanted to be a smart aleck when you ask me a question like that, because if anybody asks you a question, why did you buy coat hangers? Then there's some obvious answers that would come to mind, right? My first answer was, well, you're too cheap to go to uh, Target and buy more than one package. And I didn't say that. I just thought it. I just thought it. <laughs> because she's the reason that we have a house and you know, all the, you know, she's frugal princess, budget warrior. My second thought was I just wanted these really cool coat hangers to drive around in my truck and show everybody, look, I have coat hangers. I bought the best ones. These are the best for men in 2022. I didn't, I said, because I needed more coat hangers, sweetheart. And that was my answer. And she said, well, you shouldn't have bought them. I said, what do you mean I shouldn't have bought them? 
And she goes, well, you bought, bought the wrong ones. I said, what do you mean the wrong ones? These are the very best. And she said, no, there's three kinds of coat hangers. She goes, there's the ones with wide shoulders that you put your jackets on. The ones with the medium shoulders in the coat hangers that you put your sweaters on. And then there are the thin ones that you put everything else on. And then if you want your jeans to be hung up on coat hangers or your dress pants, there's a coat hanger that just has one side to it where you can put your jeans on there and then when you pull them off, you won't break them. You have to choose which coat hangers to buy. And I thought, my goodness, there's no, I had no idea there were that many rules around coat hangers. But if you ask questions, sometimes the rules help you out. Sometimes the rules drive you crazy. I grew up in a church where some of the rules drove me a little bit crazy. I was talking with our pastoral staff and we were discussing rules and we were talking about the rules that uh, some of our churches had, some of our parents had, and I'm not gonna out anybody's parents because many of our parents watch online, but, but our staff, as we talked about our parents and the rules we grew up in, sometimes the rules didn't make a lot of sense in the home. Um, some of us grew up in a home where no one was allowed to go to a movie theater. The answer was, when the question was asked, why not go to a movie theater? The answer was, well, Christians don't go to movie theaters. Somebody wasn't allowed to go to a bowling alley when they grew up. Well, why wouldn't you go to a bowling alley? Well, everyone knows Christians don't hang out in bowling alleys. Somebody wasn't allowed to listen to secular music in the home. And when the question was asked, why not? What's, why wouldn't you listen to secular music? The answer was Christians don't listen to secular music. And then the follow-up question was, well, what's secular music and what's Christian music? Well, um, Christian music is Christian music and the words are about Jesus. And I said, okay, great. We talked a little further. How do you know the difference between secular and Christian music? Well, Christian music doesn't really have a beat. There's no drums because drums, Christians don't like drums. They went through this whole long list of things that Christians did and didn't do. I grew up in a church where if you had hair that touched your ears, long hair, you probably weren't saved. You definitely come from a rough background and certainly, you know, people are gonna look at you with a little shady eye. If you had a tattoo, chances are you've been dealing drugs. A piercing just got out of prison for sure, right? I mean, and, and there were these rules that were assigned to our Christianity where we tried to prove to everybody else how holy we were by what we didn't do. And in reality, all we were is weird. Did you know that Christians don't dance? Now, Christians can't dance a lot of times, right? <laughs> but there was one of us who grew up in a home, you know, because Christian, now parents can make any rules they want to with their kids, right? Any rules, absolutely. I mean, that's the benefit of being a parent. You can raise your child the way you choose to, but we have to be very careful when we say, Christians do, Christians don't, the Bible says. And we don't have to just be careful raising kids, but even in church or in society. Did you hear about the Catholic priest who had to quit his job this last week? This was in the news, the national news, because it was found out that he had said one word incorrectly in the baptism incantation or recital or the magic words that you say. And because one word was said incorrectly, over a thousand baptisms were invalid. He was fired and the church was having to go back and find a thousand people or over a thousand people and explain to them how they thought they were really saved but they're not really saved because their baptism didn't count because one man said one word that they thought was incorrect. Now, 
I'm not gonna pick on anybody, but I am gonna tell you that a pastor is just a person and that there are no magic words and that salvation comes from a personal commitment that a person makes to decide to follow Jesus in a personal relationship. And there's no words and there's no rules that save you. It's a choice. And the choice begins by taking one step at a time. So we're gonna be talking about this today. This is our second week in our series. And I'm gonna really give you sort of a parenthetical note right at the beginning of our time. And what I mean is, is that there's part of this that I wasn't even planning on talking to you about, this first part that we're gonna discuss over the next 10 minutes or so. Um, four weeks ago, I had no idea I was gonna to talk to you about it, but it's been on my mind, it's been on my heart. I was at a memorial this last week doing a funeral uh, and it just was so uh, overwhelming to me and impressing me that I just needed to talk to you guys about it. And, and I hope it'll make sense once I talk to you about it. And so there's really two parts to my teaching today. They both go together perfectly in my mind. They may not in yours, we'll see. But the first is kind of a parenthetical note and I'll just kind of give you a hint that what we do here, what we talk about, this following Jesus, this personal relationship that we have with him, we wrap this with such grace and such kindness focusing on God's mercy and on his love, that sometimes we forget the urgency and the importance of the decisions that you and I make every day as to whether or not we're going to follow Jesus. And sometimes we forget how important it is to make the decision to begin that journey in the first place. So I'm gonna start with this parenthetical note to remind us of the urgency from the book of Romans, Romans chapter two. Romans chapter two, verses one through four. And the apostle Paul is pointing, right, toward Jesus and toward truth, hoping that you and I will look, but he's reminding the readers and reminding us that this is really important, that it's time sensitive and that we don't know when our time is gonna run out. So let's look together. You therefore, now when he says you, I say we, we therefore, we have no excuse. We who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point we judge another, we're condemning ourselves because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who, Dutch th who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Now, for the sake of time, I don't want to break this down word for word, but let me tell you what he is talking about in these first three verses. What he's saying is, those of you who are so preoccupied with the rules, so focused on judging other people based on superficial things, be careful. You know enough about what's true to be judged by those same things. And you don't even really keep your own rules, let alone expect somebody else to keep yours too. And what he's saying is, look out. Now, some people think he was talking to the people, the Jews that he was referring to, you know, in chapter two. Some think the Gentiles he was talking about in chapter one. But it's a warning. And it's a warning for us to be very careful, the standard that we hold other people to, because that same standard is being used toward us. And we generally choose to impose the things we're really good at on people who we don't think are quite as good at those same things. And it brings with it all kinds of baggage, like hypocrisy and superficiality and the things that unfortunately so many Christians are known for. Now here's where the good stuff really starts. In verse four, 
Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? If I were to ask you, describe God in one word, what would your word be if I ask you? I think each of us would have different words to describe God, but kindness is an unusual word that I personally really love, but I'm not 100% sure it would be the first word that you and I would think about when we think about God. Now, when we describe Jesus, we're describing God because Jesus was God. And so Jesus' kindness is an example of what God is like, his character and his nature. And there's three things that are really important here. And I wanna lay these things out as we kind of conclude this parenthetical note, this uh, foundation for the series, just uh, to contribute to our worldview. And these, really, these three concepts are underpinned by show contempt. He says, are we really showing contempt or underestimating, thinking lightly about these three things? The first thing is the kindness of God. What do you mean kindness? That he's generous and he's kind and he gives us blessings, right? We talked last week about the fact that for some, because of God's grace, everything in life is going to change. For others, because of God's grace, we feel that nothing in life needs to change, that God has given blessings, and those blessings are something we can appreciate God for or we can take for granted. The second thing he talks about, Paul talks about, is forbearance, which means the absence of hostility or the judgment that God does not give. So let me explain it this way. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve sinned. And when Adam and Eve sinned, the world was cursed. Humans were cursed. Humankind were cursed. You and I were cursed. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, God, because he was loving and merciful, put a plan in motion to give us the way to be right with him and to reconcile. But because he was holy and just, his judgment was also put in motion. And his judgment, I want you to look at it like this, is like a snowball coming for all of humanity. Because you and I were all born sinful and what we deserve is we deserve to die. Now the snowball's coming. And in the Old Testament, many times we see the snowball consuming and rolling over many people. I mean, by the time of Moses, there were 30, 35 different re things that you could do, including disobedience to parents that would cause your death immediately. And people were reminded over and over again that we don't deserve to live. But the judgment is coming. And the Bible talks about Jesus being kind and that Jesus' kindness in a sense, is Jesus standing there holding back the snowball of judgment, allowing a truce, a timeout. You ever play tag with your brother or sister growing up and you'd have a home base, right? Where you could call timeout maybe in the middle of a game or put it on pause. And so Jesus has put the judgment that's coming on temporary pause and he's holding it back because he's patient. His patience with people, his long suffering is the time period between the benefits of God that we're enjoying now and the judgment of God that's coming. 
And the most important decision that you and I make is the decision we make about Jesus so that when our lives on this earth end and we give an answer for the, for the decision we made about Christ, that judgment isn't judgment at all, but it's mercy. And we hear the words, welcome home, you were good and faithful. But sometimes we forget time's running out and we don't know when our lives are gonna end and when we're gonna answer for the decisions that we made or didn't make about who Jesus is and what we're gonna do about it. An indecision becomes decision over time. So my goal for you as we spend time together on Sunday mornings is to bring you to a point every Sunday where you have to choose, where you're well-informed and you have to choose. So that when you leave, if you choose not to follow Jesus, I love you, right? Gracious, kind, come back. We want you here. God is merciful. But I also want you to know that our time is limited and none of us know when our time is up. And at that point, it doesn't matter how gracious and kind and merciful the message is that we have to answer for the decision that we made. And so there's an urgency that I think so many of us are lacking and people die. It happens every single day. Well, the disciples, they were worried about it. Jesus talks about it. I want to give you an example here from scripture very quickly where Jesus is illustrating this point and then I'll stop. I know it's kind of heavy and maybe even offensive, but I love you. So I want to tell you, I want to tell you the truth. In Luke chapter 13, now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now you're like, what in the world? This seems very random. And it does sound very random. If you got the Jerusalem Times or you, know, you had a, you know, internet there and you were on Facebook and you were Facebook friends with people around Jerusalem, you would have known this event, this event that happened. History tells us that oftentimes there were conflicts between soldiers and between Galileans, particularly because some of the Galilean Jews could be particularly uh, aggressive toward the Romans. And so what most likely happened here was the people, some of the Jewish people had made some of the soldiers angry and the people who made the soldiers angry, who, had or who were uh, in control of the Jewish people, um, were going to kill them. And so the Jewish people you know, ran into the temple. Remember I talked about home base a second ago? They would run into the temple and they would say, you can't come in here. This is the temple, Rome. You guys, you're soldiers. You can't come in here. This is church. Church is a safe place. It's home base. We're calling a timeout. We're calling a truce. And for whatever reason... We don't know exactly what the reason was. The soldiers didn't care this time. And what used to hold back the stone no longer held back the stone and they were killed. And the Bible says that they were killed in a way where their blood was mixed with the blood of the sacrifices. Now we know it must have been Passover time because that's the only time that Jewish people were personally involved in the sacrificing of their animals. It would have been a big deal. We don't know how many, but we know there was a huge point. Everybody knew about it and Jesus said to them, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Here's what he says. Death is coming, we don't know when. Death is coming, we don't know when. It happens to the good people, it happens to the bad people, it happens because death is coming. We don't know when, morbid, I understand, true, just the same. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. 
Or those 18, remember the 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Now, you know, you don't know about this and, and you know, it's not news for us because we live, you know, here in, in Des Moines and a long time after this happened, but they would all have known there was an aqueduct system that was being built by the Romans and there was a pool, you know, in Jerusalem, a pool of Siloam and somehow something happened in this aqueduct that they were building collapsed on some innocent bystanders who were just walking by and 18 of them were killed, perhaps women and children. And people ask the question, why do terrible things happen? Why do women and children die? Why do random accidents happen? Why do car accidents happen? Why does cancer happen? Why do we fall and things happen in the house? I mean, why does this stuff happen? Is it because some people are worse than others? Do some have it coming? And Jesus says, no. He said, do you think some of them are more guilty than the others? He said, no, but unless you repent, you too will perish because death is coming and we don't know when. Now, that's a hard way to start a message because we want everyone to feel good to get on the same page and move toward some decisions that make our lives different. But it's true. And what scares me right now is the sense of complacency that I feel and that I sense in our Christian society and our Christian world. That our lives really don't matter that much. What we do is our business. And we don't seem to take responsibility for the people around us who don't seem to know Jesus. And we pat them on the back as they live each day one step closer to death and spending eternity in separation from God. And friends, you and I act sometimes like we don't care. Death is coming. We don't know when. Okay, there's the end, end of the sermon. Go home here. Have, have fun. Yeah, hit the restaurants. Go and be well. Come back next week. No, no, no. I just want to put that parenthetical note in. It's super important. The sense of urgency, the sense of purpose, the sense of finality, right? Now we're going to transition. This is part two. This is the part where we talk about following Jesus and taking this next step. Remembering that these decisions that you make are important. Remembering that indecision becomes decision over time. Remembering that every time we walk away from doing what it is God wants us to do, maybe the last time we get to choose to do what God wants us to do. Now, we're gonna go back in time two weeks to where I talked to you about a story of Peter going fishing with Jesus. I wish I could preach on this passage for six weeks, but I can't because we have a whole series coming. But there's some points here that I wanna encourage you to embrace in your own life as you live right now and process this information with the reminder that time is important, it's urgent. Time is of the essence, that we have to be a little bit more purposeful in our faith. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, excuse me, the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. This should be triggering some uh, reminders or some thoughts because two weeks ago, if you were here, we talked about this passage in detail. So if you're like, I think I've heard this before, you have two weeks ago. 
One day, as Jesus, when they were done, excuse me, uh, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed Jesus. Now we talked about this story. I gave you background about fishermen. I told you what the boats were like. I talked to you about the setting when it happened in Jesus' ministry. We really dug into this a little bit. But what I want you to focus on right now is Peter. And I want you to focus on the process that Peter went through, who he knew about Jesus. Jesus had done some pretty cool things. Another teacher, really good teacher, right? Somebody who he had become interested in. Um, Jesus had even healed Peter's mother-in-law, which for me would be a good thing for you. Maybe not so much. I don't know your mother-in-law. But, you know, there was a relationship there. But this is this time when Peter steps out and actually does something that changes the course of his life and you are in my life forever. And it really begins with one simple step, and it's the same step or the same stage that all of our faith begins with, and all of the important spiritual times and decisions that we make, and that is information. We listen, and when we hear the truth that comes from the Word of God, we're responsible. Because when we hear the truth that comes from the Word of God, we have to choose to act on what it is that we're listening to and we're hearing, or to ignore it, to defer it. And indecision becomes decision over time. And Peter was listening to Jesus teach. You guys are listening to this message and you listen to other preachers throughout the week maybe, or maybe you read books, you gather information and it's really important. But some people, for some people, it's where we stop. It's just gathering information, becoming smarter Christians. And we call it depth, but really it's just information. Depth is taking the information and doing something with it and living a different way. That's depth. But Peter heard Jesus teach. And then Jesus asked Peter to do something inconvenient. What do you mean inconvenient? He said, Peter, I need your boat. I got to keep preaching. Now, Peter had just finished cleaning his boat up. You know, when you have to do things that are caused by the things that you've already done, but they're things you have to do because until you get them done, you can't be done doing the things that you just got finished doing. That's like Peter with the boat. And Jesus walked up to him and he said, hey, I need your boat. Now, Peter could have said, "Uh uh-uh, cleaned it up, scrubbed it out, folded up the nets, threw away all the snacks, cleaned up for the day. No thanks, Jesus, find a different boat. Jesus asked him to do something inconvenient. Oftentimes, this next little nudge or step of faith you and I take has to do with Jesus asking us to do something inconvenient, and that's where you and I stop. What do you mean? You want me to give time? You want me to go to a small group on Wednesday? I got stuff going on, Jesus. You want me to be in church every Sunday? No, no. I mean, after I get done with the season, after I get done with the vacations, after I get done with my kids being in high school, after I get done with the trends. I mean, we have all these different thoughts and ideas and and we say, I can't be inconvenienced. And we walk away. 
And I wonder what would have happened if Peter had walked away. Now, Jesus didn't say to Peter, Peter, if you know what's going to happen to you, you're gonna, it's going to blow your mind. There's going to be this whole basilica named after you with pews and stained glass. And they're going to be people who come in and worship. And Peter's like, what's a pew? He's like, don't worry about it. You'll find out what a pew is later. There'll be people telling your story in church and talking about your faith. He'd be like, well, heck yeah, I'm going to be inconvenienced. God, I'm on it, Right? But he didn't, he just said, hey, I need your boat. And he had to choose, is Jesus worth me being inconvenienced for? Is it really worth me seeing what's next in this next step? So many people say no. We lose our sense of urgency, our sense of timing, our sense of mortality, and the fact that our lives could be over and so could the lives of those who God's put in our life at any point in time. But Peter didn't, he said, all right, you can have my boat. Now he heard Jesus teach some more, right? And then Jesus asked him to do something that's just like the things Jesus asks you and I to do. And I want you to track with me because this is the way our lives change, friends. This is the spiritual journey. This is the walk of faith. This is the one step at a time. And it just starts with one choice. And Jesus said to Peter, I want you to do something different. It's something you've done over and over again, but I want you to do it different than you've ever done it before. What do you mean? Well, you're a fisherman. You fished your whole life, and today I want you to fish during the daytime. And I want you to fish in waters where you already know there's no fish because you just got done fishing. Now, Peter had to choose. Now, when Jesus asks us, which he does so often, friends, to do something in our life that's different than you and I have ever done it that way before, often has to do with our careers, it has to do with finance, it has to do with relationships. We have to choose. The crowd's watching. I'm gonna look like an idiot. I don't think it's gonna work anyway. Why would I do it your way, Jesus? It seems unlikely. And then I think about Peter and I think about this moment in this diverging trail, the choice he has to make. And instead of going, man, Peter, I don't know if I would have followed Jesus. You left your friends and their dad hanging in the boat and took off and the family business in the rear view. That seems irresponsible. Instead of that, I'm cheering for him right now going, go, man, go. You've got to do it. You have to. If you only knew, just step out in faith. And so Peter does it. Sometimes you choose to, sometimes I choose to, sometimes we don't. I'm gonna do things the way I do them, God, because I know them, I like them, they're mine. They've worked all right so far. And we lie to ourselves, we delude ourselves, and continue to take that one step after another on this diverging trail that ultimately takes us out into the woods and leaves us for dead. But Peter didn't choose that way. He said, all right, let's fish your way. And then God blessed him in an amazing way. And the cool thing that Peter did when he saw all these fish, he didn't get preoccupied on the material blessing. He didn't get preoccupied on the business on the productivity, on the reaching his goals, on the man, Jesus, you could really add a lot to my life. He realized he'd come face to face with God. A power encounter. Because he'd done the same thing that he had done so many times, but he did it in a different way. And because he did it in God's way, 
God moved in his life and he had to make one more choice. Man, if I do something your way, God, in this way, what if I do other things your way, God? What's gonna happen? And Jesus extends another invitation to Peter. And he says to Peter, you know what? Instead of just following me, why don't you become a follower of me? And why don't you do everything in your life my way and see what happens? And Peter left everything and followed Jesus. And I'm so glad he did. Friends, you will never know what your life is supposed to be like unless we begin to take these simple steps of faith. And I'm living with a sense of purpose and urgency that I want you to live with as well. I wanna pray for you. Father, thank you for my friends.